Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. Going on, mate. Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about Ned Kelly. Ned Kelly, the notorious bush ranger and outlaw, who became a huge folk hero in Australia after robbing banks, murdering blokes, and eventually, well, eventually he was hanged at the age of 25. But before that, I'll tell you what, all sorts of mischief this bloke got up to. And uh, I haven't been able to really get stuck into any Australian history. We are we don't have a lot of it, I guess, compared to uh, you know the written traditions of, of a lot of the rest of the world. So it is nice to be able to sort of you know return home to my uh, my you know the loving embrace of my mother country and, and get stuck into some uh, to Australian some Australian history. So let's get to it and have a chat about Ned Kelly, the uh, the the probably the f- most famous bush ranger, the most famous outlaw in Australian history. We have to obviously. Go back. We're going to go back uh, all the way back, even before Ned was born, and uh, and talk about his old man, his dad, who was a bloke named John Kelly, uh, who was Irish. He lived in Ireland, um, and uh, his nickname was Red. So he was Red Kelly, and went on to have Ned Kelly. And I tell you this: this is just the very, this is just the first chapter in a uh, in a lot in a lot of name related stupidity in this story. We've got a lot of pretty buckwild names this week, so so you know, strap yourselves in for that one. Anyway, he's born in 1820 in County Tipperary in Ireland. And um, one day he's wandering along and he, and he spots two pigs that he sees. And he goes, oh, gee, I like the look of them. I'll have these. No worries, mate. And he nicks them. Um, and this obviously precipitates what I'm sure you, 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 you've already guessed is going to happen. Uh, he, gets done for, he gets done for this by the authorities and he gets sentenced to transportation after having stolen these two pigs. Uh, it's like so many other people, you know, uh, with with jails being overcrowded, and, and you know, the policy of the government at this uh, this stage was to transport, uh, you know, convicted to well, felons, convicted uh, convicts, convicted convicts. Didn't really. That's yep. Total tautology there. Convicts is fine. Um, all the way to Australia, other side of the world. Um, so this is what happens to uh, to Red in uh, 1841. He gets carted off to Tasmania because of these little porkers and uh, well, as, as it was known at the time, Van Diemen's Land, uh, not Tasmania, and obviously. You know, this is obviously a result. We didn't have the same sort of protection against cruel and unusual punishment back in those days. Just imagine being forced to go to bloody Tasmania. I mean, there's nothing worse than that. You'd rather be rather be bloody headlopped off. Honestly, let's let's let's. This is this was the real punishment. Obviously, being sent to Australia. So, you know, they're sitting there at the dock. And the judge is like, "Oh, I sentence you to transportation to Australia." And they're like, "Oh no, you're sending me to a beautiful paradise with lovely beaches and you know incredible weather and." You know, it's just the greatest place on earth. Oh, you're sending me to Tasmania. Oh, please, no. No, no, please put me in an overcrowded, cholera-filled British dungeon. Please, please, please. Anyway, uh, Red, uh, you know, like so many other people, gets sent off to the penal colony of Van Diemen's Land, Tasmania, as it's known today. Um, But again, being sent to Australia, I don't really understand how that was a punishment outside of, yeah, anyway. And of course, surprise, surprise, as soon as his sentence is over in 1848, he had a seven years, uh, you know, of, of, of penal labour or whatever else, uh, he goes straight to Victoria. Greatest, greatest place on earth, mate. Greatest place on earth. Greatest, greatest state in the world. Um, and has a crack at making himself a living. So as soon as he can, as soon as he can, he pops his boots on and gets out of Tasmania into Victoria, best place on earth. And, uh, and as I say, he tries to scrape out a living for himself here by gold digging. Now, not the sort of, you know... Uh, you know, 24-year-old marrying an 80-year-old media magnet here. Uh, no, actual literal gold digging. This was, a, this was a very popular pastime in Victoria at the time. 
huge gold rush going on in the mid-19th century there. You know, you're tripping up, tripping over the nuggets that are lying here, there and everywhere. There's just so many of it, uh, so much gold, so much of it in, uh, in central Victoria there. And uh, he does very well for himself. He's cashed up. He buys himself a little farm ski up in a place called Beveridge, which is a sort of northeastern Victoria. Well, I guess central northeast. I don't know. It's, it's, it's up there anyway. Um, and he gets back to his core competency after having done a bit of gold digging, uh, which is, of course, as I, as I said before, stealing farm animals. Uh, he becomes known as a real bastard of a cattle thief. And uh, he and his mates, they go around nicking cows till, well, yeah, Till, till the cows come home, essentially. Um, and uh, he does very well for himself there as well. So stuff is going very well for Old Red. So he decides himself decides to snag himself a missus. And in 1850, he marries this woman named Ellen Quinn. Now, she sprogs out eight kids. Apparently, they were going at it like rabbits on the mallee there, by the look of things, because, uh, yeah, eight kids later, they have a happy little family set up there in Victoria, uh, number three of which is old mate Ned, Ned Kelly, born in 1854. Now, unfortunately for this family, uh, poor old Red, he doesn't stick around for too much longer. In 1866, he gets done again by the cops, this time for unlawful possession of a bullock hide. That is the official uh, official charge that is laid upon him. But in other words, what it essentially meant that he had a big stack of beef on him that he couldn't account for, and uh, the cops didn't believe him when he said it had fallen off the back of a wagon. And so uh, as a result, he has to do six months' hard labour and unfortunately, ultimately, this just kills him. Uh, he's a bit sick at this anyway. He's a bit crook. He's under the weather. And he dies just after he was released in December. So now that he's dad's cactus, 12-year-old Ned sort of has to step up here as the oldest bloke in his family. He's, you know, he's sort of the, you know, the, the I don't want to say the breadwinner, but he is the, you know, the based on this sort of archaic view of how the family was, he was the, you know, the man of the house. He was the, he was the, the, the main man there. So his dad getting done in by the law uh, like this means that Ned, unsurprisingly, doesn't like the coppers from a very young age, even, you know, as he's trying to sort of hold the family together as a 12-year-old, uh, which proves to be pretty important as, as we go with the story. His, his dislike for the police and for authority in general, obviously, yeah, going to come back into it as we're talking about a, a, a you know, very famous outlaw here. Anyway, after all this, Ned's mum, Ellen, uh, moves her eight kids to this massive, huge, big farm out near 11 Mile Creek. Now, as Ned grows up, he's doing all sorts of stuff, a bit of farming, a bit of schooling. He's mucking around having a good time with his mates, being, generally being a bit of a loose unit, uh, to be honest, like really sort of, you know, a bit of a, bit of a scrappy bloke he was. Although at one point, um, he did save uh, some kid's life, this, uh, this bloke named Richard Shelton. Uh, uh, Richard was drowning in a creek and Ned dove in, uh, dragged him out to safety, absolutely bloody hero, uh, get around him, everyone loves him, right? And, uh, and, you know, saves his life as he's drowning there. So the Sheltons, they give Ned a green sash by way of thanks. Interesting way to repay that debt. Anyway, a uh, bit of a rubbish gift, to be honest, but I guess, you know, better than a box of favourites, I would suppose. Um, despite all this, though, Ned and the cops, uh, you know, they're, they're all, they keep coming the raw prawn. They're, they're, they're at loggerheads constantly. They don't like each other at all. And the Kelly family, they're always in the poop with the law, essentially. You know, the, the coppers are keeping a very close eye on them and always finding a reason to sort of get up in their business, which was, you know, not totally unjustified, seeing as these, uh, the, the Kelly family, you know, they, they were, you know, they're kind of crooks. Anyway, anyway, um, having said that, the cops are very keen to try to do them for cattle theft, even though, uh, you know, Red is out of the picture now. And uh, they lay 18 charges, 18 charges against the Kelly family without ever finding a conviction uh, for cattle rustling there. So 18 times is ridiculous. And it actually resulted in people kind of whispering out the co- about the cops having it in for the Kelly family from the get-go. So sort of, you know, drumming up a little bit of sympathy with, uh, with the people, uh, you know, round about. Anyway, whether it's true or not that, you know, the cops were 
had a, had a vendetta against the Kelly family may, may never properly be determined, but it's, it's safe to say that some of the cops back then were real bastards. They were really nasty blokes, and they, they didn't worry about too much stuff like evidence, you know, when getting some poor bloke done. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a grey area. Anyway, anyway, obviously, young Ned is not uh, remotely close to being an upstanding law-abiding citizen. You know, this is, it's, fair, it's fairly obvious that that was the case. And, and this is reflected very officially with uh, what happens in 1869 when he's 14. Now, in October, Ned has a run-in uh, with a Chinese bloke whose name is, and this is not a joke, his name was Arfuk. Uh, which, you know, obviously, next up in our list of ridiculous names associated with Ned Kelly, Chinese bloke, Arfuk. Anyway, there are some discrepancies uh, in the accounts given by the different parties. So, But let's have a look at what on you know what went on during this altercation between these two blokes. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll kick things off with what the cops say. According to the cops, um, Arfuk is, is wandering about, uh, walking past Ned's place, uh, when, you know, Nick Minute, Ned comes out with a big stick and says, give me all your money, you bloody dickhead, or I'll neck you, mate. Uh, and then he drags poor old Arfuk off into the bushes, uh, whacks him around the head with this uh, with his big stick he's got, and nicks ten shillings off uh, off poor old Arfuk. Now Ned has a, a slightly different version because he says that old mate Arfuk was the one with the stick, and he said that uh, he was wandering past his house and came in and asked for a drink of water because it's so bloody hot and dusty on the road. And Annie, Ned's sister, says, "No worries, mate. Let's wet your whistle. Uh, you know, I'll grab you a drink, have a sit down, mate. Don't even worry about it." And she goes and gets him a drink of creek water. Now, ah, fuck, he doesn't like this. He says, ah, fuck this, and ah, fuck you too, mate, because uh, how about some of that rainwater from, uh, from that tank there, mate? You, you know, you, you bloody stingy, yeah, stingy mongrel. Now, Ned doesn't like this at all. He says, uh, he, see, he comes up to him and says, bloody on your bike, mate. Get, get out of here, you prick. No one talks to my sister like that. And ah, fuck turns to him and bonks him on the head with a stick and then whacks him a few more times for good measure. Ned then, you know, craps his dax, runs off and doesn't come, up, uh, come back until nightfall. And uh, ah, fuck gives uh, Annie a bit more lip and then says he'll come back and burn their house down, which was, you know, kind of, you know, a bit out of nowhere there just because he didn't get a drink of the creek water. Now, probably, probably, neither of these stories are completely true, right? Obviously, the truth is probably somewhere between, you know, the, the cops and, and, and the Kellys' account of things. The best guess historians make today is, is that Ned probably didn't have the stick but then grabbed it off Arfuk and then, you know, after he was bonked on the head by it and then, you know, gave Arfuk a proper, you know, shellacking and really taught him taught him a lesson or two about messing with the Kellys. Um, but uh, anyway, you slice it, Ned is arrested for it. Young Ned, 14 years of age, he is arrested, uh, which was a bit of an ordeal, I might add as well. Despite only being 14, Ned was a big lad. He was a he was a quite a unit. He was a, he was an enormous fellow, and uh, needed quite a, several grown men, quite a number of blokes, to actually just subdue him by knocking him out, even as a 14 year old. You know, he's charged with assault and with and with robbery as well, and he gets locked up in Benalla. Uh, and the cops hold him there for nearly two weeks while they sort of scramble to find a Chinese interpreter so that Arfuk can do him. But uh, ultimately, they can't get one, and so Ned is released and the charges are dropped. Now, after this initial scrap with the, the long arm of the law, young Ned Kelly only doubles down on his miscreant ways, and he ends up becoming, you know, ending up on the wrong side of the law. Uh, more than the right side, probably, for the rest of his life at this stage. It sort of sets him off on a path here after, you know, this, this arrest and, and, and sort of legal kerfuffle very early on in his, uh, in his, in his young life there. Anyway, as he, as he grows up and gets more invested in this, this life of crime, uh, Ned uh, takes up with the Bushranger, who is uh, next up on the ridiculous name register. Oh, this time, this, this time it's for the right reasons. This bloke's name is Harry Power, which I'm a, a big, fan, big, big fan of that name. Great work there, has. Uh, and they get up to no good throughout 1870. They're robbing blokes, generally causing all sorts of trouble and mayhem there. 
and already we're, we're going back to the register of ridiculous names here because uh, amongst some of the crimes they were said to have committed, Power and Kelly were accused of robbing a bloke whose name was Mr. Mabean. Mr. M apostrophe Bean. I don't know what is going on with that name. Anyway, they get off. Uh, uh, Ned is uh, arrested twice more for robbery, but uh, every time, every time he gets arrested, the charges are dropped as the cops, they can't seem to close any of these cases against him. Now, there's a disagreement among historians uh, as to why this is, why they never were able to sort of, you know, properly pin something on him. One side of the coin says that it's because the cops, they were after Ned in a big way and they were, you know, just trying to find anything they could find to, to, to pin on him. And the other said that it was, uh, it was Ned's family and mates who who were intimidating witnesses and are preventing them from, from testifying and having any, you know, anything stick to him. In any case, he finally ends up in prison a couple of times uh, in the early 1870s. And in all cases, uh, it's for the most unbelievable and ridiculous of reasons. Even if they can't get him for you know, these, these daylight robbery sort of situations, uh, they find other reasons to put him away. Uh, the, the first time he's put away is in October of 1870. Um, you know, he's been going around at this stage robbing blokes allegedly uh, for months and months and months. But this is what finally does him here in October. A mate of his, whose name is Ben Gould, gets accused by a bloke named Jeremiah McCormick of nicking his horse. Now, old mate Ben, Ben Gould, he doesn't like this at all. And so what he does is this. He writes a a pretty bloody rude letter to Jeremiah's wife, uh, who who didn't and also perhaps couldn't uh, have kids. Now, in addition to some of the rather choice phrases he wrote in the letter, he also included a pair of bull's testicles in, in the package, uh, perhaps insinuating that they uh, could be of some use to this, uh, to this poor lady. And uh, anyway, Ned gets done for it uh, because he helps to deliver the letter, you know, which is pretty, I don't know, pretty messed up thing to do, to be honest. I'm not, not a big fan of what happened in this letter. But anyway, it's important to know the story because, uh, because Ned, he gets done for it. Uh, he helps to deliver this, uh, this message uh, to this poor lady and he gets, uh, he gets three, ma- uh, three months of hard labour for it. He's released in 1871, but only three weeks later, he's back in the clink. Three weeks later, and this time, even more ridiculous than the bull's testicles. If I said to you that the most ridiculous reason that Ned Kelly was arrested was not for delivering a pair of bull's testicles to someone, I don't think you would have believed me. But here we are with, our, with the most ridiculous reason, uh, that, or the most ridiculous story surrounding one of Ned Kelly's arrests. Uh, in 1871, uh, he is riding a horse that his mate... Isaiah Wild Wright lent him when a cop uh, stops him because uh, he recognises the horse as stolen property. Now this poor copper, Constable Hall, tries to arrest Ned, but uh, he should have got, he should have known better because Ned, at this stage, fully grown man, gives him what for. Ned starts chucking punches at this poor cop who ends up trying to shoot Ned as he wails on him, and Ned doesn't like this at all. So he knocks this constable onto his ass and then flips him over and starts riding him like a horse, even going so far as to dig his spurs into Constable Hall's sides there. So he has beaten this cop to a pulp, flipped him over onto his hands and knees, and he's now riding him down the street like a horse. Anyway, he gets done for horse theft, not for not for riding the the cop that he didn't he wasn't obviously they didn't re, they didn't think that the, the cop had become a horse and get ned for that they got him for actually stealing an actual literal horse um and also for riding a cop like a horse that probably came into the charge somewhere uh and he gets three years hard labor three years and uh, bear in mind i mean i did say ned was a fully grown man i guess he was in terms of you know his size and his strength he's only 16 years old and uh, he's got a rap sheet as long as his arm here so it's not going well for young ned here even as a 16 year old bloke very very strong very you know grown up fellow fellow but still he's uh, he's he's suffering uh, he's suffering the full extent of punishment here when he's released in, from prison in 1874 
He tracks down his mate Wild Wright and he says, listen here, you bastard. You lent me a stolen horse. I'm going to wreck you for that, you prick. And believe it or not, they end up to settle this uh, this sort of dispute between them. Isaiah Wright and Ned Kelly end up going into the ring together for a 20-round bare-knuckle boxing match in Beechworth so as to settle the score between them. Now, Ned, unsurprisingly, ultimately wins the bout and is crowned the boxing champion of northeastern Victoria, and Isaiah Wild Wright ends up liking Ned even more after having, you know, his ass handed to him on a silver platter by the young boxer. Anyway. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Another funny thing happens in 1877, three years after he's out of prison. Ned is, uh, is hanging out in Benalla, and uh, he's put away a fair few jars. He's been sucking down the frothies this time, so he's, uh, he's as pissed as a chook uh, when he jumps on his horse and starts riding on the footpath. Uh, now, seeing as this is the equivalent of, you know, of driving your car down the footpath today, he is locked up quick smart by the coppers so he can sleep it off in a cell. But uh, next day, obviously, you know, Ned is, you know, he, he recovers from being absolutely blind drunk. He realises what's up and he makes a break for it as soon as he can. Four cops come after him as he hides in a, a shoemaker's shop trying to get away from these policemen. Now, these cops, as well as the shoemaker, can't subdue Ned, who, Ned, who is as mad as a cut snake. And they, none of them, can, they can't get the handcuffs on him. No matter what they do, he's just too strong, too, you know, too powerful. They cannot subdue him. And at some point during the brawl, Ned's pants were ripped off, and a bloke named Constable Thomas Lonigan takes advantage of, uh, of, of this opportunity here by grabbing hold of Ned's tackle and giving his balls a good old squeeze. Uh, now, at this point, uh, another bloke walks into the shoemaker shop, has a look at what's going on, and says, uh, what's going on here, boys? Jeez, calm down, settle down, what's going on? What are you, what are you coppers doing nailing old Ned? And, uh, come on, let go of them, buy him dinner first at least, just settle down there, fellas. Now, this bloke is diplomatic as anything, and he manages to get Ned to calm down and go quietly with the cops. But after this, he faces a fine, quite a severe one too, three pounds. He is fined three pounds for this uh, for this disturbance. And uh, he has to cop it sweet there. You know, he, he, he gets pissed up, beaten up, and uh, has his pants ripped off him, and his little boy squeezed like a pair of oranges. He pays the fine, and that's the last of it, almost. Almost. Ned has a huge chip on his shoulder about being blackballed by poor, uh, you know, poor old Thomas Lonigan there. I say poor old Thomas Lonigan, a bit of foreshadowing. You'll see, you'll see what happens because apparently Ned said to him, Well, Lonigan, I've never shot a man yet, but if I ever do, so help me God, you'll be the first. And as, as again, as I say, these words prove to be very ominous. Anyway. In the coming years, Ned gets a, a fair following of other blokes who all uh, all want to get up to no good with him. And so the Kelly gang is formed. Some of them are actually Kellys, Ned's brothers, cousins and the like. But others are just these mates who want to, you know, kick about with him, chuck some punches about, nick some stuff, rob some blokes, you know, steal some horses and uh, li- generally live this sort of often glamorised life of the, of the colonial bushranger. Uh, very much like, you know, the cowboys, the outlaws of the Wild West in the United States. But but generally, they're just, you know, going around, having a great time, living this sort of highfalutin lifestyle until 1878 when uh, something happens that where they, they all sort of have to scatter and disappear. 
this was the year after Ned was uh, was blackballed by Tom O'Lonigan, and it's known as the Fitzpatrick incident. It kicked off, all kicked off, good and proper, in April 1878. It was when a bloke named Constable Al- Alexander Fitzpatrick headed out to the Kelly's place near Greta, near Wangaratta, uh, to arrest Ned's brother Dan for nicking a horse. They just cannot get enough of nicking livestock, these Kellys. The police had a policy that no copper was supposed to go to the Kelly homestead alone, but Alexander, he doesn't, give a, he, he doesn't care about that. He's a, he's a tough bloke. He's, he's going to take care of things all by himself. And so uh, he hopped along there to do Dan. Now, anyway, uh, Constable Fitzpatrick, he gets here by himself, finds that Dan isn't there. It's just his mum, Ellen, and some of the other Kellys. And so he hangs out at the Kelly house for about an hour. I tell you what, asking for trouble. Uh, he's talking with Mrs. Kelly, mucking about, and tell, hello, what's this? He hears the sound of wood chopping from outside. Now, brave Constable Fitzpatrick heads out to ensure this uh, wood chopping is licensed, if you can believe it. How much of a stick in the mud was this bastard? And, uh, and comes across our next contestant in the most ridiculous name competition, a bloke whose name was William Williamson. So, I don't know, I don't know how into that name uh, this family is, but it's a little perverse. Anyway, um, he rather sensibly, actually, I should say, he rather sensibly went by the nickname Bricky. So he's Bricky Williamson instead of William Williamson. So good choice there, Bricky. Anyway, Bricky says he's on his own land and therefore can chop all the wood that he wants. Thank you very much. And at that point, Constable Fitzpatrick spots two horsemen returning to the Kelly homestead. Now, he hurries back there quick smart, and sure enough, it is old mate Dan, Ned's brother, along with a bloke whose name is Bill Skillion, their brother-in-law. Now this is this is these are the established facts. This is all this is all definitely definitely happened. From this point onwards, however, this is where the stories change quite significantly, depending on who you ask. Uh, according to uh, to Constable Fitzpatrick, he promptly arrests Dan, who then asks if he can have his dinner before Fitzpatrick casts him off to the station. And Fitzpatrick pulls his head out of his ass and says, "Okay, mate, no worries. Get it into you. Hot meal, important. You know, you gotta gotta eat. Gotta gotta stay fresh. Gotta stay hydrated. So get that into you. No worries at all." And while, uh, while Dan chomps down on his tucker, uh, Fitzpatrick is there standing guard when all of a sudden, Ned bursts into the room, raises his revolver, and plugs Fitzpatrick in the arm. Now, the Kellys, as well as Bill Skillion and Bricky Williamson, they leap on Fitzpatrick and beat 12 types of bejesus out of him, and he falls to the floor unconscious. Now, when he wakes up, Ned says, G'day there, mate. Look, sorry about the bit where I, you know, shot ya. Yeah, apologies, mate, but do us a favour and dig that bullet out there with his knife so you can't go and use it as evidence later on, would ya? Ned makes him cut the bullet out of his own arm and then makes him promise that he won't go and dob them all in for it and off Fitzpatrick goes. Now, obviously, I don't know what Ned was thinking here because obviously Fitzpatrick goes straight to his superiors, breaks this promise, lickety-split, dobbing them in uh, to you know to his, his commanders, whatever else. But Ned has a different story. Ned, Ned tells the story a little bit differently. He says that he was nowhere near the Kelly homestead at the time, and the Constable Fitzpatrick was being a real dirty dog when trying to arrest Dan. Because according to Ned, Fitzpatrick came in without a warrant, arrested Dan, and then pulled out his gun and threatened to shoot his mum if she got in the way. And Ellen was said to respond to this by saying, you wouldn't be so handy with that pop gun of yours if Ned were here. And then Dan, who, you know, a moment of absolute inspired primary school genius for him, he says, oh, there's Ned coming along by the side of the house now. And Constable Fitzpatrick falls for the oldest trick in the book. Look behind you. What's over there? And Dan darts around, nicks his revolver, and then tells him to bugger off without harming him. And Fitzpatrick obviously scarpers. Now, these are the two sides of the story, according to Fitzpatrick and Ned, respectively. But later, during a royal commission, some very interesting details emerge. Because even though the Kellys never accused him of this, 
Constable Fitzpatrick was later alleged to have been pissed up when he got to the Kelly's place, drunk as a skunk, and might have even tried to have a crack at Kate Kelly, Ned and Dan's sister. In any case, it doesn't matter what actually happened there uh, for the purpose of this story because Fitzpatrick dobs them in and there is big trouble coming for the Kellys. Bricky Williamson, Bill Skillian and Ellen Kelly, they all get done for aiding and abetting attempted murder and the blokes get six years hard labour while Mrs Kelly gets three. And they're all convicted despite the fact that the evidence is pretty shaky and the fact that Constable Fitzpatrick was known to be a bit of a boozy bloke. Uh, he lost his gig as a, as a cop for, for drunkenness uh, later in life. So after Bricky, Bill and Eleanor are arrested, Ned and Dan, who managed to obviously get away without being, uh, without being arrested themselves, uh, they make themselves scarce. They know that uh, you know, the, the excrement is going to hit the air conditioner. They, uh, they bugger off quick smart while they've got the chance. And they start to live the life of proper bush rangers living away from civilization out there in the bush. The Kelly gang at this stage is Ned, uh, his brother Dan, and two other blokes that have come with them, Stephen Hart and Joe Byrne. Uh, now, the four of them, this is, you know, this is the iconic Kelly gang that you've heard of in the stories. The four of them, they head up to the Wombat Ranges to hide out. But in October 1878, the cops are onto them and send out blokes to bag them and to bring them in. Four of them, make four, four cops, uh, make camp at Stringybark Creek. And amongst them is... Thomas Lonigan, the bloke who you'll remember uh, blackballed Ned during their scrap in Benalla. Now, things don't end well for Lonigan, as you, as you might have guessed, or indeed for his mates, because while they're camped out, two of them are ambushed by Ned. So two of the cops have gone off to, I don't know, do whatever, and then two are left in the camp, and Ned and the rest of the Kelly gang on the 26th of October ambush these cops while they're at their camp. Ned leaps out of these two coppers and delivered one of the classic Ned Kelly lines, bail up, throw up your arms. Ned then announces that he's not going to to Lonigan and to his mate McIntyre. He, he announces that he's not going to shoot either of them if they surrender. He's not going to shoot anyone who surrenders here. But this idiot Lonigan, his hand edges towards his revolver, so Ned plants a hot slug straight into his scone, just as he said he would all those years ago. He might even be the first bloke that Ned shot, just again like he said back in Benalla. So that was an eerily prophetic uh, utterance there by Ned Kelly. Anyway, after having seen his mate uh, shot down, McIntyre surrenders and tells Ned about the other two blokes who are off in the bush somewhere. And, uh, and Ned tells him to let his mates know that they've been ambushed, saying that, he again, he'll shoot no man who puts up his hands and then hides nearby. So when, uh, when these other two blokes, Scanlon and Kennedy, they return, McIntyre says... Listen here, fellas, Ned Kelly has got us good and proper. He's here and you better surrender. Otherwise, he is going to shoot the lot of us. He's going to blast our bloody heads off. Now, Kennedy thinks McIntyre is having a giggle here. And so he goes to rip out his gun, to, you know, sort of go along with the gag. He's like, oh, no, where's Ned Kelly? Oh, let me get him like this. And uh, he's instantly shot. Uh, Scanlon, <laughs> Scanlon craps his dax and tries to run. But he was also shot and killed. And uh, McIntyre at this stage, he uses the opportunity to try to get, you know, get out of Dodge quick smart. Uh, on a horse, and while the Kelly gang shoot uh, at the poor bastard, uh, they don't hit him, and he gets away. He uh, Kennedy goes off, oh sorry, McIntyre goes off and uh, hides in a wombat hole until after dark, uh, and then takes his boots off and uh, sneaks off, marching over 30 kilometres to Mansfield with no boots, where he reported the murders of the other cops. Now, the cops, obviously, they leap into, uh, you know, top gear there. They go off to investigate and find this camp burnt to cinders with the bodies of, uh, of Lonigan and Scanlon, both with a bunch of bullets in them. 
the the rest of the Kelly gang, even after they had, had uh, killed these cops, the rest of the Kelly gang actually had all shot the officers, so they were all equally at fault. They're all, you know, sort of they could all get done for the murder together. They wouldn't, you know, none of them would actually know who who had shot these uh, these people first. Um, now Kennedy's body was found uh, nearby about a week later after a search party had been launched to find, you know, this final missing copper. But uh, the most important thing to come of this, the, this, these became known as the Stringy Bark murders because they happened again on the Stringy Bark Creek. And when this story was released to Victoria, and, you know, and, and again, the rest of the colonies in Australia, public opinion turned against Ned hugely. It was a savage, savage turnaround there for Ned Kelly because of the way that this, uh, you know, the, these, these murders were sort of portrayed to the public. People are furious that Ned is living out in the bush, going around, you know, robbing people, blasting cops, doing whatever else. And as a result, it takes less than a week for the Victorian government to pass the Felons Apprehension Act on the 31st of October. Now, this act allowed any bloke to shoot members of the Kelly gang as soon as they spotted them. There was no need for a trial or anything else like that. Anyone could shoot the members of the Kelly gang, no questions asked, because of this Felons Apprehension Act that was passed right there at the end of October. And uh, the, even the thing is, you know, you would think that would be a pretty, a pretty firm deterrent for for the Kelly gang there, thinking they're going to get their heads blasted off at a moment's notice. But of course, what can they do? They can't go back to society. They've got eff- effectively no other choice. They are more or less priced into this life of crime, and as a result. They go the whole hog. They rob banks and stagecoaches. They attack police stations and murder police officers. And, of course, it all ends there with the famous last stand that made Ned Kelly's name so well-known and, and, you know, and, and so famous throughout, throughout as, as a huge part of Australian history. But, as you might have guessed already, we are going to have to wrap things up this week. That is going to be a story for next week because there is so, so much more to cover. But uh, this week, we're all out of time. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. Next week, we'll be back with the second half of the the, the story of Ned Kelly, including, of course, his famous last stand in Glen Rowan. So we'll see you then. But until then, of course, usual boring housekeeping rubbish at the end of the episode. Halfasthistory.net is the website for the podcast. There you can find old episodes, links to the Twitter page at History without an O, wouldn't fit, very annoying, where I tweet out just sort of little things that I've been reading about each week. And uh, a Patreon as well, if you want to chuck a couple of dollars, of course, no obligation, but I do appreciate it. Um, apart from that, I, I want to thank all the people who have emailed me again. I've sent out more, even more, more, more and more and more stickers. And for the suggestions uh, for uh, episodes there, uh, in particular, thanks so much to Owen Burke, who got in touch, suggesting that I do a bit of Australian history. It was, it was great to have a chat about Ned Kelly. So uh, thanks so much for your email, Owen. And I do hope the stickers have got their okay to you over there in France. And thank you to everyone else. So, you know, just, just for listening, just for being here. It's, it's, it's great to have you along. Fantastic to have you along as part of the show. And uh, looking forward to doing it all again next week, except, of course, so much better. Until then, leaving you with a question posed on Reddit. Reddit historian Bedwed or Behead wants to know, why are photos from Australia always turned upside down to make them appear like they were taken in the Northern Hemisphere? <laughs> <laughs>